Welcome to CII Podcasts. Good afternoon, everyone. I am the very warm welcome to eminent speakers to today's exclusive session of Global Unicorn Series with Global Beast. CII, in its continuous endeavor to support and nurture industry, has been closely working on enhancing the country's startup ecosystem. CII, under its Future Business Group initiatives, launched this Global Unicorn Series in 2020 to highlight the journey of a startup to unicorn. and to inspire many more young entrepreneurs who aspire to become a unicorn we have mr nitin agarwal ceo global bees and mr manoj kohli chairman cii future business group to moderate the session mr kohli is the chairman cii future business group and country head softbank india softbank group international he is responsible for addressing the government regulatory and public policy issues which help these companies to achieve their Full business potentials. Nitin Agarwal is the chief executive officer at Global Bees, an aggregator of digital brands that transforms marketplace sellers into international brands. At Global Bees, he leads all efforts in new company acquisitions, besides driving the company to create global brands. Being an IIT Delhi alumni, Nitin is business veteran and has over two decades of experience in scaling companies across verticals. He has held leadership positions in various sectors: software, in services, banking, e-commerce, technology, and finance. Previously, he was the president of Adelwis Financial Services and held leadership roles at Incred, Big Shoe Bazaar, and Brain Visa Technologies. So, without taking any further time, I would now request Mr. Kohli to take the session forward. Thank you, Agriti. I'm so delighted uh, to be in today's session. Uh, Especially because Nitin is is one of the brightest entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs in the country, and also a brand my personal passion. Uh, because when I built Airtel, during that journey of 15 years, uh, from zero to top uh, uh, number one in the country across categories, I remember that journey was so uh, full of excitement. And I think uh, I can imagine Nitin's life to be full of excitement. So today we will go through uh, Nitin's life, Nitin's journey, how he uh, enunciated this idea, how he went about uh, ups and downs in the industry, how he went about last two years of COVID, and what does he see? How does he look at the future? And also personally, how Nitin manages to handle such massive growth. So welcome, Nitin. Welcome to the CII Global Unicorn Series. Thank you, Manoj. It's a pleasure to be here, and hopefully, I'll be able to answer some of your questions. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure you'll answer more than that. Uh, I'm confident because you are not only experienced, but also you have deep, uh, deep uh, knowledge of, of many, many areas, which is great. So I wanted to start in your Childhood days when you were young, and uh, what was the family background like? Uh, were there uh, entrepreneurs in your family? Did you really feel uh, inspired by some close family entrepreneurs who were working, who were with with you, and when you were growing up? <clears throat> yeah so my family uh, my immediate family my father has been a government job so he's been a lifer on a single government job to be honest 
that's what my father has been. He did his engineering from Jodhpur. I come from a town of Jaipur. Uh, so that's where I have grown. And all my other family members, uh, the uncles, the cousins, and everybody has been running some business or the other. So it's largely a business community. I think my father was the odd man out who was, who was a public servant um, in a government job through his entire life. Um, so I think growing up, uh, I I got a kind of insight to both worlds in that sense, um, and it was good uh, learning while uh, while you we were doing that. And honestly, uh, back in the days when I did for IIT, most of the people didn't know what was IIT. Uh, somebody would call it ITI, and somebody would call it um, you know something else. Um, so it was a it was a business uh, community town and very little in terms of uh, professionalism. But I think when you come to the business in the current era, I think the kind of business that is done in the past versus what is happening today, I think there are two different uh, uh, two different ball games. I, I don't know, you can't even call them same businesses. I know, I know. No, you are absolutely right. My, just as a coincidence, my father was also in government and uh, maybe he was the only one uh, in the in the family to be in government, everyone else was in business. So I think to that extent, both of us come from a similar kind of background. Mm-hmm. So so uh, just to come back, whereas uh, uh, you had a, a, a family except your father who were in business various businesses, but uh, uh, did you ever imagine that you will run a major business? Did you ever imagine? And it, I'm talking about school now, I'm not yet in IIT. What was your personal imagination or aspiration at that time? Now, I I wouldn't say much that I would ever imagine. I think throughout my life, I was doing and I was fairly happy, you know, getting into a professional career and that's how I thought about it. Um, honestly, I did try in my 10th standard to go to one of my uncle's business and sitting out of that shop and gaddi and what is called and I quickly realized that's something I would never do. So to be honest I had never thought about running a business till till very uh, till I got into the job really. <laughs> okay okay that's fine. So so let's move uh, to uh, college university now so being in IIT Delhi how did that experience shape you? Because the learnings of IIT, I have seen in many, many other friends and colleagues that IIT really helps you because you are amongst the bright people, very bright people in this country. So what kind of student were you? What did you enjoy doing in college? Did you discover some new strengths uh, for future business or future profession in IIT Delhi? Yeah, I... I think IIT uh, and a lot of uh, lot of colleges in that sense was was a great learning ground because my biggest takeaway from IIT and being with all my uh, you know fellow classmates was nothing was impossible. I mean, you could imagine um, you know a, a problem and you could solve it, and it goes in saying you know if there is a major tomorrow, you would not see a chai you know you have eight hours and they'll say eight hours, you know. So IIT really taught you to say that there is a solution to every problem. And it allowed it gave a life lesson to be able to figure out a problem from first principle. It doesn't matter how that problem was there or not there, whether it was solved in the past or not. 
it just gave you confidence to be able to take on the world and solve a problem, approach it from the first principle, gave a perspective of the world, and I think that's that's a big learning which has always stayed, a, um, you know, with us, with me particularly, and I've cherished that learning. And when you are in company of, uh, you know, so many bright people, I think it just rubs on to you, um, you know, to be able to solve more and more problems. As a student, uh, I think I did fairly well in terms of sports. I did fairly well in terms of education on both sides, but I wasn't uh, kind of a only education or studious kind of a guy. Though I did top my class, but uh, I would say I spent seventy-five percent of my time on the sports field as well. That that means you are a real all-rounder because topping your class and spending seventy-five percent. Of time and ground. I can give you a uh, secret in that. That's a principle I've followed. To be honest, uh, I never missed classes, but I never studied after classes. Okay, that's great. That means you concentrated in the class. Yeah. And so, understood the issue, understood the concept, and then you went to the ground playground. Yeah. yeah. I think that's 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 the upbringing of school. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So, so I think I think Agarwal's, in my view, as a community, not only are kind of born entrepreneurial, but also born uh, with a lot of bent of mind towards education. Uh, I think less in sports, but much more in education, much more in, um, and and that's why so many Agarwal's are leading uh, startups. Not only in India, but even in US, I've seen in West Coast. What do you think was behind that? What was that as a community? You coming from Rajasthan, Jodhpur, <clears throat> Marwar? What was that? Well, I I will not too much of history. The only thing it's always tell that this will always be in a trader community. As a trader community, you could literally travel to any part of the world and make them your home. So you're not intimidated. By a new environment, you are able to adopt. You are able to absorb and observe the opportunities and in a new market and make full potential of it. I think that is that is like a innate kind of a culture, and because it's been a trader community, I think they have developed with that kind of spidey sense, if I call call it, and being comfortable in a new environment. I think that is what makes it uh, makes it successful. I would say. I agree with you on that, but let's move now from IIT to your first job. How was that job? What was the break? What was your learning in the first job? These are we what you are today. Well, my first job was with Citibank uh, in Bombay, and that was the first time after or to Delhi to Bombay was my first real big town. Um, it was a good corporate banking job, a wonderful lifestyle. Uh, Foreign banks, very very coveted job, um, but very quickly it became too boring too quickly, you know, uh, and uh, and that's how I think the seeds of the entrepreneurship got sown because suddenly you realize this this life was too slow, it was too boring. There's so much more you can do, and there was opportunity all around the world. Um, the dot com era was was at a peak um, at that point of time. And uh, that's really what gave ideas and opportunities to 
um, to do something new, and that's how I got into entrepreneurship. To be honest. Yeah. So, so you were not meant for a job. That is that is the issue. Which I only realized after get, getting into the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were not meant for a job. So there, there are people, many many entrepreneurs who start like this and then find out. Uh, and then I think if you find out early, like you found out in your first job itself. But did you continue uh, with jobs for some time after that? No, that was the first eighteen months of my kind of a career, to be honest. And after that, it's literally been, uh, you know, uh, startups, entrepreneurship, setting up something new rather than a steady job. Even my last corporate job with Eduwise. Um, you know, it was less of a job, more of um, something new that Eduwise, uh, as a group, wanted to do in transformation, right from scratch. So, so things like that. I really like solving problems, creating new ways of doing things, and build scalable transformations and scalable businesses. I think that that Kira, as you say in IIT, right, to solve problems and recognize more problems and to be able to solve that faster and better than anybody else. I think that that drives it. So for me, it's always been that. Yeah, the Kira has uh, so not only solve problems but also uh, shape scalable solutions. Yes, I think that is that is uh, much much tougher thing because I know when you go talk of scale of 10x, 20x, uh, problems become more and more complex. So. So let us go through now the the journey between when you left city before Global Bees. How was that journey? We did come to Global Bees also, but before yeah, that. So, so that journey was essentially for for about nine years. Um, I founded a company, Brain Visa, where I was a co-founder. Um, it was an entrepreneurship venture. We raised a couple of rounds. We sold the company. It was a successful exit. Um, after that, I was an e-commerce entrepreneur, um, built a fairly scalable business in very early stages of uh, e-commerce as well. Uh, but then after that, I moved to financial services, where um, I wouldn't say an entrepreneur, but I was part of a uh, initial team to build a fintech platform um, with Incred. Um, so I built that out as a as a platform um, as a core team member for two to three years and uh, just before this Rashesh uh, um, at Edelweiss and us met he wanted something in terms of group transformation and technology and that was my again a stint which was there so typically a four stint in that sense that's quite an experience uh, and you said it nearly nine years yeah so, so just before the what was your mindset what did you want to do? What did you want to start? Just before it. I think uh, just, I mean, ever since 2000, right? I've always looked at new opportunities and saying, where are the new opportunities and where are the next scalable businesses coming? And Superman and I have known each other. We were co-founders in our first venture. Superman and I have known each other for 20 years. He's great, built a great business in first try. And we've been talking about the brand's business uh, for almost three years now, in fact. Um, saying there is a retailer ecosystem, um, there is a front-end consumer ecosystem, but there's an equally large brand ecosystem. And India is essentially a 
very low income taxpayer community. So you can imagine 96% of India is entrepreneurial. And the opportunity to create uh, brands are very, very massive. India is a manufacturing hub. And given all the ecosystem and knowledge which is there, um, it is far more conducive environment today to build those brands. And that's the discussion Sukhumin and I had for some time. And that is literally what gave emergence to Global Beat. It's saying today with online ecosystem, with, uh, with multiple players, um, the distribution is that easier. But at the same time, it's complex for our existing entrepreneurs to move into a technology era. And if we can help them aggregate with the capabilities we have, it is possible to make not just India impactful brands, but a globally impactful brands. And that's literally how Global Beat started. Yes, yes. So, so that's good. I know Supam, Supam is a fantastic uh, entrepreneur, one of the most, uh, I will say, most dedicated and committed human being also. So, so in addition to being a great entrepreneur, he's a great human being, great person. Uh, and I think working with him would have definitely helped you. Uh, okay, so, so let's come to now Global Bees. I think you have, you have explained the logic very, very clearly. How did you start the logic? In the sense, how did you execute the logic, let's say, in the first year of Global Bees? Well, this is the first year of Global Bees. <laughs> this is the first year. So, let's start. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I think it went from a kind of a casual conversation to a very, very serious business plan. And um, honestly, the, as, the, as the first go, um, we looked at, uh, you know, we took our thesis and we did a dipstick, to be honest. You know, we, we called up a um, few entrepreneurs, we, we said this was a positive, something like this would come up, how would people react, how many such companies are there, and so on and so forth. And we went on to a call, um, figured what they were lacking, and actually then made a list of, uh, then kind of uh, got more confidence in saying the services that we were talking about, value proposition was talking about, the problems were kind of common across the entrepreneurs to scale up. And that gives us real confidence. Stage two obviously came with respect to investment. So once we were sure that we were going at with that, we didn't know, you know, how fast paced and um, you know how big we wanted to create. We said let's let's just start. Um, as the luck would have it, uh, um, you know, we got a lot of uh, good interest. Uh, as well uh, from the community, from the investors, from the entrepreneurs and suddenly the opportunity became too big too quickly but at the same time um, we didn't want to uh, kind of let go of the any of the opportunities and we were able to quickly gather a team around. It, it, it generally helps, you know, it's been in the industry for 20 years. Uh, we were able to get a good leadership fairly early on and we were able to get the structures, we knew what we were doing. Uh, first Cry ecosystem helped us with respect to the learnings. So we were able to quickly put the team together and um, you know scale fairly quickly. So that's literally for us we are in our eighth or ninth month of operation and I would say we are phase three of our operation, phase four of our operations. So typically a three-year journey which will go into two or three phases we'll provide in nine months. Okay. So no that is that is fantastic because crashing so many phases into nine months is unprecedented. I don't think it happens normally, so I think it must be happening uh, very rarely with you. And you are blessed 
that it is happening with you. But tell me before we go ahead, what was behind the name, the, your own Global Bees brand? Oh, a um, lot of history. I think again, between Sukhum and us. First Christ uh, company name is uh, it's called Brain Bees. So that's the bees ecosystem, and then Express Bees, which came out of First Christ, a demerged entity. Uh, the company name is Busy Bees. And here we are going global aspiration, so it became a naturally a global business. So no other story to be honest. It okay. just, uh, these ecosystem kind of works uh, with the people that we. Oh, it's a very nice name. It's a very nice name. Uh, now, it's, of course, what you're saying is right. It's so the logical evolution of that name. Yeah, I don't think we put that much effort into it. Honestly. So tell me, let's talk of these nine months. In these nine months, what has uh, positively surprised you and what has not been so good, not been so positive? I think on the positive side, uh, honestly, uh, the first uh, reservation we had was the depth of the Indian market, the number of sellers, the professionalism. I think that surprised us the most, uh, most positively. When we started with that, I think there were a lot of, lot of debates. We ourselves thought about how many, you know, 50, 100 sellers probably control 80% of the market and so on and so forth. I think the depth and the maturity of the young entrepreneurs, because most of these entrepreneurs are the second generation where their father has been running a traditional business and they have been trying to do something modern. And the quality of their knowledge, the quality of expertise, and trying to do something new and the depth and the number of people who are trying to do that is completely surprises very very positively um, the the brands have understood this ecosystem they've learned the hard way uh, over the years and uh, and the talent in the tier twos and tier threes um, to be able to do online businesses not just in india but at a global scale you know you have you've seen people sitting in tier three doing an online business in US and Europe, which is worth 10 million, 20 million dollars. It's no easy feat with the 10 people. I think that quality was, was completely, completely surprising for us, uh, to be honest. And um, it's been absolutely pleasure to be uh, to make, meet those entrepreneurs, work with those entrepreneurs, and being able to learn from them. I think that's been one of the most wonderful things uh, that we've done. Um, and personally, I think I've gained a lot from that experience. Um, not so good. Uh, I I won't I won't complain about anything except for a uh, little better airport security and check-in where you can get in faster rather than four stops and stuff like that. But otherwise, it's it's been a pleasure. <laughs> okay, okay. So no, no. I mean, that is why I was waiting for this answer. Because you said in nine months you've done so many phases already. So I said after nine months doing so much, if he still has a complaint, there must be something serious. So <laughs> of course, all of us have the same issue. Uh, I don't think you are alone. But tell me, I was reading that you have three growth drivers of innovation, inspiration, and impact, which actually actually arrived. And how do you think Indian brands are understanding that the customer experience is the key? The customer experience is the key behind the brand. Because I remember 15, 20 years back when I was building brands, you know, actually nobody understood this concept. But actually, if you provide a 
low quality customer experience, the brand will be also be low quality. It's very clear because frankly, you can't, uh, you know, market the brand or, or on, on, on television or digital and give a poor customer experience. So how do you think this intrinsic change is coming into Indian Indian industry and Indian startups? I think that, I mean, we believe there are two, three factors of that, especially with the digital businesses, right? Digital businesses are now getting built on uh, principles where it's easy to share experiences, either it's by reviews or ratings or stuff like that. But at the same time, you only build a business when the customer buys you, buys from you second time and third time. It's no more a, you know, single time sale. And to that extent, I think from a longevity perspective, after people having done online businesses where they've sold anything and everything and then disappeared, I think people realize that over a period of time, if you want to build a sustainable business, you know, uh, sometimes those businesses earlier, what they would do, they became more like a, you know, a, you know, an options trader, right? You will win for nine months and in 10 months, you will lose it all uh, sort of a scenario. So to build that sustainable businesses, I think entrepreneurs got more and more saner about it. The platforms of the online ecosystem, they built out a lot of trust. They taught the sellers as well. There are a lot of training and investments from the likes of, um, you know, your Flipkarts and First Prize and Amazons and Micas and Purples and so on and so forth on the customer experience. I think there has been a lot of investment from the ecosystem that has gone towards uh, bringing that customer confidence and customer experience to the prospect. And that checks and balances, which the ecosystem itself has provided, I think change the mindset of all that. I remember shopping online in 2004 and you would pray to the God after ordering that the good would land up and it would be the correct what you've ordered. Sometimes you would also got something very, very different, but it would be 4x the price of what you ordered. So you'd be happy and sometimes you'd be unhappy and at the end of the year, you will calculate how much amount of Okay, great. Uh, so tell me, it is understood that last two years, because especially because of pandemic issues, uh, the online businesses have gone deep into the countryside. Have gone into tier two, tier three, even rural markets, villages, etc., etc. And the customer experience, by and large, has been reasonably okay not perfect but reasonably okay so what is your experience especially what do you think the rural customer because that's maybe half a billion or even more or, i mean there's no rural customer in the world which is bigger than indian rural customer especially because i in atl i i went into uh, we went into five five and a half lakh villages uh, for some 3g 4g coverage and I know what happens in those villages. I've personally been to thousands of them. So, what is your view? How is the rural customer getting attracted? How is he or she satisfied? What are the other expectations like vernacular, etc.? What is your view on that? So, let's first look at the access. I think vernacular access is important when you go to rural. And I think there is again, um, as, as, the, as the story goes in any internet change, right? First, you consume uh, entertainment or a content, as you say. Then you go into a low-value transaction, and then you go into high-ticket purchases. I think rural itself, with a vernacular entertainment content, a news content, I think that's that's got very well penetrated now. And now, customer has started to move 
into a second zone of transactions. Um, UPI, what we are doing in financial services, I think that's doing a big thing in terms of digital transactions. So it's, he has started to move into the digital transaction and the ultimate step of that is commerce which is there. The good part is the customer is realizing the value of that but at the same time the massive infrastructure which has been built by the delivery companies to be able to deliver the goods at a trustworthy fashion, at a committed time, being able to return it when you something goes wrong. I think that is a massive infrastructure behind the scene which people don't realize. And it has taken us over a decade. And I would say that infrastructure will continue to build at this pace for another decade. And a lot of investment will continue to be deployed onto those ecosystems. And that, I would say, would be the biggest thing. So one company like Airtel obviously have ensured that the internet penetration and mobile penetration and a smartphone penetration at a very, very attractive prices there. But I think when it comes to commerce, we have you have to also deliver not just the waves, but the physical goods. And that's a different ball game. And I think there's a lot of investment that will go into that. You're absolutely right. Uh, next 10 years, next decade will be decade of digital technology. How uh, digital technology supports India's technology leap. Because India's physical infrastructure is weak. And therefore, that weakness can only be overcome through digital technology. And that's what is happening. That's what all these companies are doing. And uh, coming back to brands now, uh, I see when I see cricket or when I see Olympics and some other things on TV, I see the startup brands, the digital brands, really uh, maybe being majority of the brands being displayed during such major championships, etc., etc. Uh, maybe 60-70% of the total ads. So, which clearly means that the traditional businesses, traditional companies, uh, they may not be marketing as aggressively compared to these new digital brands. So, what is your view? How are these new digital brands uh, embedding into the psyche of the consumers through all these activities, all these marketing spend, etc., etc.? Yeah, see, look, everybody has their own strategies and pieces and theories of it in terms of building the brand. Uh, our belief is digital brands uh, have a lot of facets of building apart from TV. I think TV is, is also reaching to the masses, but before you get into that platform, um, digital provides you so many ability to experiment and reach consumers through so many different platforms, whether it's a media platform, whether it's a social uh, network platform, whether it's a direct reach through a SMS and a WhatsApp and, and so many things. I think you need to be able to understand your consumer. TV media is more more widespread, more, more, more brand and I mean, from a relevant customer targeting perspective, you know, it still will be, you know, I don't know, 1% or 2% hit rate for any brand or less than that rather. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, from a TV perspective, it certainly generates a trust. But if you don't have figured out your customer before going into that TV and TV is used as augmentation, I think that provides a very, very powerful strategy. Historically, TV and newspaper was the only medium to reach apart from the holdings in the listing. But I think today the tools to build a brand um, have just become way too many and uh, as a brand you have the power to experiment at a much lower cost 
running hundreds of experiments to be able to understand your customer. And we believe that any brand should first invest into that before going to mass media. Mass media is more spray and pray in that sense for the newer brands. Yes, you're right. Uh, but you, but it's also clear that TV and uh, newspapers have lost it for the youth, the millennial generation, especially my children. They never see TV and they never read newspapers. Yeah, TV is OTT. Yeah, <laughs> the digital media will be so will be the future. What is your view that in the next five or maybe ten years, how will digital media take over the entire spectrum? Because I, we are seeing in advanced countries like US and some European countries, even Japan, that uh, you know newspaper and TV importance is declined so much, and I think the same will happen in India. What is your view on that? You are absolutely right, Manoj. I think we have already seen that trend. If you look at a tier one, tier A kind of a crowd in the metro, it's moved from a traditional TV to OTT. Right now, OTT is also a digital. It's the same screen, but it's a digital media, right? So TV screens are moving to more and more digital media. Um, the penetration is not that great when you go to tier two, tier three, but we've seen how the world has moved. And if you look at a decade longer, I think nobody wants to wait for saying we will run the program at this point of time. Come and see it. The customers change. I will see what I want to see at the point of time I want to see. And that's the power of digital. So I don't believe any customer will. I mean, can you imagine having a news when you know something happens in stock market or Russia and reading it next day in the newspaper? I mean, come on. By the time the news is there in the newspaper, you already know it all, right? Um, you just li- like the smell of the newspaper, and that's why we still read it. Uh, but that's about it. Same thing. TV. I I don't want to wait as a consumer. At a particular time to see something, I want it to be on demand, and that's how the consumer is moving. So, yeah, I I would completely agree with you. The relevancy of that medium will will continue to go down. It will move towards OTT, on demand, more subscriptions, uh, and so on and so forth. Yes, 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 agree, Nathan. Now, one one, one more thing, one yeah. one more uh, Manoj. What we are also seeing as a consumer. We are seeing far more individualism from the consumer. They don't know consumer wants to be treated like a mass. They want a personalization content. They want to be treated as an individual. And I think that also is a very very powerful tool that the digital has to be able to touch those consumers in a very very personalized fashion. Absolutely, I fully agree. Uh, customization to each person. So it's mass customization. Mass customization. I think I think companies have to do, but I was very impressed with your four values of the company, which really people, customer growth, innovation, value creation, and especially with customer centricity. So I just wanted to check with you, what kind of to your customers, what kind of major value creation are you able to offer and execute, and what is the feedback of customers, your customers, your clients, on your value creation? Yeah, so see, customer value creation comes from uh, two three things uh, when we look at. It. So first of all, uh, product innovation. You know, customers want more and more, more and more customized creation. Even if you're looking at a simple thing like a skin cream, right? I mean, a particular skin cream doesn't. There are X into Y combination of skin types and tones 
that somebody requires and you probably require 10,000 or more formulations to be able to service a customer for exact of their skin type or apartment, right? And that's the customer value proposition you want to give uh, in terms of, uh, you know, which exactly suits the customer needs. Historically, that was not possible because you had to take that product, distribute it in the retail store, and you had to create a mass product. I think in D2C, that personalization becomes very, very powerful value. And the second part of the value will come with, uh, you know, the cost and the price and the speed that you are able to offer them and improvise constantly. I think today, uh, because the supply chain is becoming more and more efficient, manufacturing is becoming closer to the customer, the, the price uh, at which you are able to offer and the competitiveness and the first thing that you are able to um, you know, make more efficient on, I think those are the two very, very important value propositions. The third most, I think, the individualism. We are able to create multiple brands which customers individually can identify with, right? There is, in customers segment, there's nothing which is unachievable. There's nothing which is a taboo. People want to associate with a cause. And I think it's very, very important that the brand associates with the cause and the values that customer believes in. And that itself is a very, very big value proposition apart from the price of the product. No, I agree with you. I think that's that's very clear. Uh, coming back to your business now, it's very clear that um, this year has been a very good positive momentum for you. And even you are surprised at how positive it is. So tell me, based on this experience of this year, how do you think you would like to diversify the, your services? What do you offer to the client? Do you want to keep it like this? Do you want to add more in times to come? What will be your range that you offer to the, to the customer? So, so we, we go top down in terms of our categories that we operate on. <clears throat> and we, we four or five large categories. The work has just begun, uh, honestly, Manoj. I think each of those categories has so much of depth and so much of work to do that we'd like to be focused. You know, I, I'll tell you another interesting one. You know, when we were doing the initial stage of global, we, we looked at the categories in India, you know, electronics so much, fashion so much, mobile so much. And people were just saying, then there is a category called others, which is actually 70% of consumption. <laughs> so India may brand penetration itself is so low from an overall consumption perspective. Um, there's so much of work on the category and the thesis that we've built. Uh, I don't think that's something that will be able to even complete in the next two decades or three decades. So we just want to keep our head down on, on some of those infrastructure. We are very initial stages. You're right, I think India is still evolving so much and it has so much to do. So how do you plan to, have any plan to scale up 10x, 20x, whatever, 50x? in the coming year. So what is your personal mission for scaling up the business? Uh, well, if you're looking from an X perspective, I think what we focused on saying, what is it we can build from a scalable infrastructure and let that tailwind and a customer demand work for us. So today, anything that you build, 
right from innovation to manufacturing we will build saying if you are doing 1x tomorrow if the demand is 1000 we'll be able to fulfill i think if you are ready with that kind of infrastructure both technology people and a physical infrastructure with respect to ecosystem partnership i think the scaling is just becomes a number and uh, you know also gets influenced by macroeconomics but what we are focused on is building the scalable platform in every aspect of the things that we do whether it is a brand marketing whether it's a social marketing whether it's a customer research whether it's a customer insight platform whether it's logistics supply chain production we just focus on building everything which is scalable not just in india but at global scale and that's what we will continue to focus and we believe while we do that the x factor will continue to come we don't need to target the x factor we'll target the input elements out to build that yeah no that is right control the inputs and output has to come so how what do you think of lot of these brands going global so traditionally very few indian brands went global and but now i'm thinking i'm seeing i'm meeting so many young entrepreneurs who want to be global what do you what do you advise them and how do you help them so see global going global has two very very distinct parts right one is you have a product in india and you think you can product sell that product to a community in international markets right it could be a indian community in international market or some other community in international market that's one way to go global and you have to be very clear which of the two parts the second going global is you actually look at the community in those international markets and those communities are different you look at those communities in international market look at the product market fit and india because it's such a large manufacturing base innovation base you can make a global first brand you know if you look at for example bala from vadanti right he look took the tea but he made it a us first brand he understood the consumer of us and so you're seeing the global first brands i think what people we've seen making mistakes is um, they don't distinguish between these two and these two are a very very different approach how will you market to whom will you market what kind of market research will you do so you'll have to first see whether you're making a product for a global market and then start selling or you have a product in india and you just want to sell it globally i think that two very very different ball games and a very very different path and companies can make mistakes if they if they i see a lot of companies making that mistake and not making that distinction also tell me now coming to your business model how are you making your own business model more and more profitable more and more scalable because if, if you have to grow so much and support so many clients your own business model has to be really very viable absolutely i think uh, your your value of services and economies of scale that you are able to bring as i just said in every aspects of your business right from customer research to product development to sourcing and supply chain as you are able to build scale but also benchmark the costs um, i think the efficiencies keep on coming in the ecosystem uh, we've seen a lot of people kind of making those mistakes of not benchmarking some of those costs with respect to the viable business model and i think we're very very sharp on in terms of those efficiency factors um when we work with our partners and investments uh, we have our internal targets on the efficiency 
to gain every month every quarter and every aspect of the business and we were very focused on those aspects uh, in fact our value is growth with a margin expansion and if you're not able to kind of achieve those i mean we have an internal matrix for achieving some of those numbers and very focused on those parameters that is perfect growth in the margin expansion is the right goal and 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 i'm asking this because some of the entrepreneurs i've talked to they they may be a bit unconcerned about this but what you're saying is that growth happens and margins don't expand that the economies of scale are not coming to you which you deserve to get but because of some reasons you need to do some diagnostics to understand why are you not expanding you should market. you should always know that i mean i i don't think from a financial prudence and planning perspective the investments and the cost of operation and investment from growth i think those matrices should be very well distinguished and you have to be very sharp about those matrices absolutely coming to people now because if you are doing well if you're building a positive momentum i'm sure your team is very good how do you build a star team of high quality professionals uh, what is your culture so that you can retain them you can excite them and make them do their best yeah i, I think um, that's literally the foundation and i would say that's the most difficult part of creating any um as a organization we've always believed in saying we have to be very clear and strong with our ethos and we have to have a like minded people who share the same values and i'm not saying the values are right and wrong and you know i, I think it works for them there are a set of values that we work for 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 our organization and more than capability or a talent or a background of a person i think for us the value uh, in by whether it aligns to our value and purpose becomes a very very important thing while we build the people and that's how we've built our leadership team that's how we're building the team below and we'll continue to be very very focused on that um and we believe that if we get those right side of values which are perfectly kind of aligned we we can build a solid uh, foundation uh, but also a large scale organization and i think from the early airtel days i i know a lot of Your colleagues in Guinea and Manoj, your my friends who work with Airtel, I think the sense of purpose and value that and Airtel has had its fair share of headwinds in the last twenty years. But uh, you know, I've heard stories on on the value system in there, which is, which is what Airtel is today, even after all the headwinds, which a lot of other people are not in the same pedigree as you are. So I I we completely believe in that value. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> you know, Airtel has faced the highest level of headwinds any company can face, yeah. but because but because of its people culture, high performance people culture, I think it has been able to face them, to win over them, even in the toughest period, uh, add market share, add margins, lowest tariff in the world. uh tough uh, cutthroat competition but yeah. still been able to enhance share as well as market which actually is not easy and also building a brand alongside building a culture and building a business model which leads to lowest cost in the world so these are some of the uh features of that and i've had 
रिंग साइड व्यू फ्रॉम लॉर्ड ऑफ फ्रेंड्स I wanted to talk to you because it's it's a very topical issue now, and because the hallmark of, as I believe, the hallmark of the young entrepreneurs is that they are food on corporate. They are very very. They're coming from uh, maybe middle class families. They're very hungry, but ethically they're very strong. I mean that is my strong belief. That ethically, the core values they bring from their families are very very strong, and I believe that. This is a huge positive shift in India's industry of corporate governance. But recently, some cases we have seen and read, which are not so good. So, what is your personal view? How are you building strong corporate governance in your company? Because in Airtel, I remember we we built it very solid. I mean, you look at our quarterly report and the amount of uh, uh, you know uh, the disclosures we gave. Everything literally we had to disclose so that. And on those days, I remember 15-20 years back, people never disclosed so much. But but we were always brave and courageous to disclose more because there was nothing to hide. It was always very factual. It was always data-based. What is your view on that? Uh, you're you're absolutely right. I think uh, corporate governance has been has been very very uh, top on the agenda for us. Especially for the kind of business that we are in, right? We are dealing with a lot of capital. Investing in the company, etc., um, and very early in the stage, and our board has been very, very supportive to be able to build that infrastructure. Um, you know, in the in the first initial six months of the stage, um, um, you know, with our board, we literally, I mean, this is surprising. Our board has met every week for two hours for the first six months of the company. Now. From from some of those board meetings, our board members have said that they've never attended these kind of number of board meetings for one company for so long. So we've, we've developed a very very strong culture, people, and process around governance. Today, in our company, you know, irrespective of what happens, we have a very very strong system of financial flows. We have a very strong system of approvals. We have extremely strong system of disclosures. um you know across the board and there is no other way that we could drive this you know today our companies sit in every part of the country i mean i can call every city as my home today uh, literally because we have entrepreneurs and companies there and until you operate those companies with full integrity you yourself will not be able to um you know manage that ecosystem so i think that's for us has been paramount and even from our leadership perspective um you know if you look at our first few hires i mean typically people would go and hire a growth and tech first right we did hire all of them parallelly but with those our our cfos our corporate controllers our policy and our chro our chro was actually the first hire which is very unusual for a startup right because we wanted to build that culture the governance etc and uh, i think we put a very very strong Uh, processes around that and very very strong 
No, absolutely right. I think this is, I'm so delighted to listen to you because I to build a long-term sustainable global business. These foundations are critical. There's no other way. Absolutely. And, uh, so, uh, coming to your personal life, if you don't mind, you want to understand, because many entrepreneurs like to understand how do you build, maintain a personal calm? How do you build, keep a balance as you're going through such massive growth? How do you maintain the balance in health, work, family? What is your secret? Well, I don't think so there's a secret. I think you need to have uh, parts that you enjoy and you need to be able to figure out. I mean, and those are the things which in, even in the last 20 years I have changed uh, quite a bit. I mean, I was a huge fan of Formula One uh, right from my college days. And I think till almost till 2010, I wouldn't have ever missed a Formula One race on TV. Over a period of time, obviously, that I, I couldn't continue. But I think it's important to have a passion. Uh, because that's your uh, that's your ground to really relax and chill. And whatever that passion is, it's important for entrepreneurs to have some passion and, uh, that they can do and enjoy. And that's literally the let go of steam uh, which is there. And as long as you are able to enjoy that and have that passion. Um, secondly, from a family perspective, I think um, plays a huge role. I, when you've been at it something for too long, I think. Uh, they do they do tend to understand and you have your moments with them and you're able to divide that space it works differently for every entrepreneur um, I've seen it working differently for different people but it's important to to kind of plan that between work your own personal time in terms of what you're enjoying and the family time um, I won't call it any secret I, I'm just saying all three are important and you need to be able to balance it Okay, accepted. <laughs> My last question, uh, because it's been it's been fantastic. Uh, I think your your responses have been so good. My last question: Any message you would like to share with young, bright, hungry entrepreneurs coming from small towns, villages? Because I can see so many young boys and girls who are coming up who want to be uh, entrepreneurs, who want to start a small business and make it big, make it global. What is your message? I think there are two three messages. Nobody has made it big and successful without being a failure. So don't be scared about failure. Every time you fail, you are more knowledgeable and you are more valuable. So that's that's the most important thing. Start anything, assume you will fail, right? And that's very very important. I I think a lot of people start. Everybody starts to succeed, and that's how you should. But everybody should start with expecting to fail. I think that's a very, very big message I would want to have. Um, secondly, do your first principle thinking. Right? A lot of people would go about, um, you know, you know, he did that way, he did that way. Every industry is different. Your business is different. If you understand your problem from a customer eye and not what is problem from ecosystem, you will create an impact. I think I see people making a mistake on what their competition is doing. You always have to have an eye on what your customer is doing, how is he behaving, how is he reacting. Just focus on that and not else. So I would say these are the two very, very important things. Excellent. Both are very, very pertinent. And uh, you sounded like Steve Jobs when you said the first one. 
after failing you succeed so the failure is footstep or a stepping stone of success and without failure you don't know where you can slip absolutely but it is after failure you know what not to do and hence you can you can do better things in life so so within it's been delightful it's been so a great experience for me personally and i'm sure everyone all the young entrepreneurs who are listening to you your story has been great the journey has been very good it just started you're right i think uh we will try to close me in the next uh, decade or so because next decade will be big for you and big for the country so thanks a lot for coming here on behalf of cii and softbank i'm really uh, very grateful for you to take our time and we will meet soon to discuss these issues for thank thank you manoj and i thanks cii and softbank as well real pleasure to be here thank you thank you for listening to cii podcasts